Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Kent Ritter. Kent is a managing director with Burge and Held Asset Management, a multifamily private equity firm, which currently holds $1.4 billion in assets under management. His firm works with investors, handles property management, along with renovation and development. So thanks so much for being on the show, Kent. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Charles. So give us a little background on yourself prior to uh, starting with your current business. Yeah, so I spent about 12 years as a management consultant. And uh, what you do when you're a management consultant is you fly around the country to all different clients and you help them solve big problems because uh, they, never, they never call us when things are going well, right? So it was a great uh, kind of masterclass in just seeing a lot of different businesses and how they run and, and what to do, more of what not to do. Um, and just, you know, how do you operate a successful business? I think that that was a great learning experience. And about seven years into that, uh, we actually, I left the firm I was at with a few partners and we started our own firm. So for about five years, ran a, a boutique multifamily, <coughs> multifamily, see, that's what I do now, a boutique uh, management consulting firm. And uh, again, just having that startup experience and how to grow a business, we grew to 95 employees and about 30 million in annual revenue. And uh, decided to, to exit that at the end of 2015. And that really started off my, my real estate career, you know, and into, into 15, beginning of 16 was really when I started investing. Okay. So why'd you choose real estate investing as your investment vehicle? Yeah, it, it just made the most sense to me. So I, you know, from exiting my business, I had this capital and, and I didn't know exactly what to do with it. You know, I had always been invested in the stock market. I was fairly active and a fairly active investor but I knew I didn't want to have all my eggs in, in one basket. So I started looking at alternative investment options and real estate was the one that just really stuck out, made a ton of sense. I love the fundamentals, love all the benefits of it. And uh, just really fell in love with the process of like finding deals and going through the underwriting and, and, and kind of finding these opportunities, right? And then the competitive nature of going through and bidding and winning it. And then, mm -hmm. and then being able to see the, the like physical improvements that, that would occur, you know, like being able to take a property and, and improve the property and clean it up and modernize it, you know, add technology, which is a big focus on what we're doing now. And, and I, and honestly, like ha have a great return for myself and, and now my investors, because now I'm bringing others into my deals, but, but also for the residents. I mean, it's great just to see being able to, you know, improve the lives of those folks. Because a lot of those people don't have great options to live. I mean, what we focus on is kind of core workforce housing and um, a lot of, a lot of those places that have, you know, that are, they're getting run down now just aren't really places where like I personally would want to live. So being able to take those and fix them up, uh, it's just great to see that transformation. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, so tell us about a little bit about your first couple of real estate deals uh, that you're involved with. Yeah. So I, I've done a lot of different types of things. So, um, you know, I could, the first, the first deals that I, that I was doing, I was actually on, on, uh, the debt side. I was, uh, it really built up a note portfolio. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So I was selling houses on contract and I was, uh, you know, just owning the debt. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was, that was, that was okay. The, the returns weren't bad. Um, you know, the, you're, it's collateralized by the house. So, so it's a pretty safe thing to do, but one day I got about a year into owning, uh, you know, or selling one of these houses and, and having the debt, I got the HUD statement because the person had gone and, and sold that house and I was getting my loan paid back. And I looked at the HUD statement and that house had doubled in value. And that person was making, mm-hmm. you know, a significant amount of money. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I need to be on the other side of this. I need to start buying assets. And so that's when I really went down the path to start looking at, uh, you know, different assets and single family and multifamily and uh, single family, I, I just, in doing the math, just realized that I wasn't going to be able to scale enough to be able to live, mm-hmm. to have the income that, that I wanted to be able to leave my, you know, kind of where I was at, at the time I, I was working for the company that, that we had sold to, um, you know, had kind of an earn out agreement there, but wanted, wanted to leave as that was finished and knew I needed to build up an income stream to be able to do that. And single family just wasn't going to make it. So that's what moved me on to multifamily and, and through some great advice from some mentors, I was able to kind of skip that step and move right into multifamily. Nice, nice. It's interesting going from the debt side because the debt side is a nice fixed, pretty very passive investment uh, for most part of it. And uh, then you see exactly the equity and the market on the other side and uh, what what that can do to your investment. So that's awesome. Yeah. And and you know, it's it is great if you want to if you just want to kind of have a fixed income portfolio. You know, that can be a good way to replace you know bonds, which aren't paying anything right now, <laughs> right? But me, uh, you know, younger, active guy, I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, I saw the opportunity to to two, three, four x my returns by by owning the assets and, <laughs> and buying things that you could improve. And so uh, that was the path that I decided to go down. So tell us about your firm now. I mean, we talked before we started recording about a project that you guys are working on, but what types of projects are you guys targeting now? And what's kind of your strategy once you've purchased that property? And maybe you have a criteria that you're kind of working alongside. Sure. So criteria wise, probably easiest to start there. So we are very much a B-class suburban garden style, like workforce housing company. That, that is our bread and butter. That's what we focus on. Um, and so we're looking at properties that typically are, are in the 1980s and newer. We, we'll dip into the 70s, but, but as those continue to get older and older, uh, you just got to worry about deferred maintenance and, and you have to just prepare for it. If you can get properties that are 80s and newer, and even nowadays kind of 90s and newer, you just, you alleviate a lot of those, all those risks. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at properties like that. Um, me specifically, because there's a few strategies that go on within Burgeon Held from new development, like ground up builds. There's a, a group that does tax credit deals. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a group that focuses on kind of larger multifamily projects, kind of 200 units and up. And then my team really focuses on what I call kind of diamond in the rough properties. We call the group Private Select uh, mm-hmm. because it's these it's these properties that are kind of fewer and farther between. And what we're finding is a ton of opportunity there in these properties. They're kind of 150 units and less uh, in, in more secondary and even more tertiary markets. And we're just finding tremendous value and um, 
great return profiles because of the, the market conditions are different. There's just less competition on the buy side. The sellers are typically mom and pops. They're leaving more meat on the oh, bone. Yeah. So there's more room for us to, to improve versus if you're buying from a large institution, you know, they're squeezing that turn up, right? <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of juice left for the next group that comes. You got to just hope that the, the market continues to appreciate, right? And rent continues to grow where we're coming in and we're actually finding properties that, that have clear deficiencies that we know we can come in and we can solve day one. So we mm -hmm. love to see those management inefficiencies, right? Where a property is common story is a property is hundred percent occupied, but $200 below the market and rent. Right. And because yeah. the, the person is just operating uh, for occupancy and not to maximize the revenue, like that's a clear win for us. We can come in with our mm -hmm. management strategy. We can, we can change the game from day one, and then we can add improvements to, to the property as we go. So from a strategy stand, so those are the type of properties we're acquiring. From a strategy standpoint, it's really what I call a light value add. We're, for the most part, we're not trying to pour you know, a ton of money into the interiors of the properties. I think that's, that's often where I see people fail is uh, just over improving a property, right? Like putting granite countertops in where you don't need granite countertops, um, things like that. Um, so we're, we're being very thoughtful about what we're doing on the interiors. We're making the exteriors very attractive and we're really focusing on adding value add amenities, amenities that are revenue generating, such as adding fiber optic internet to all of our properties. So we're running fiber cable to all of our properties, um, allowing folks to have that fiber optic internet and actually becoming the internet service provider on those properties. And that's a, that's a win-win for everybody because they're getting a better service. They're getting faster internet. They don't have to deal with the, the cable company. Their internet's live day one when they move in because their apartment's already wired. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're, they actually pay less than what they pay the cable company right now because we do that market survey and we intentionally make it cheaper because we want to make it a no-brainer. But what that does, that shifts that revenue from the cable company to us, but it's not an additional financial burden for the resident. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. a win-win. Nice. And what is your role within the private select group? So I co-lead the group uh, with my partner, Adam, and I am kind of the more of the front facing person, you know, running my own podcast, Ritter on real estate, being on, sh on great shows like yours and just kind of communicating about what we're doing and getting the message out there, um, putting out a lot of thought leadership and, and helping bring investors into the process. So helping folks understand the process and feel comfortable making an investment. Um, Adam more focuses on, on the back end, focuses on, you know, he's really the underwriting guru. He's, he's got a, okay. a CPA by trade. He, he spent his career as an accountant auditing multifamily properties. So he knows them in and out. And so he leads our underwriting leads our debt sourcing. And, um, and that's kind of how, how we distribute things. And we've got a nice little uh, yin and yang going. Nice, nice. So your firm, uh, Virgin Health, they are vertically integrated. So how do you manage properties and renovations in several markets at once? Yeah, so by vertically integrated means that we have an internal construction team and, uh, mm -hmm. that manages all of our construction projects. So we GC ourselves. And then we have an internal property management group that, that manages all of our properties. So that, uh, you know, it makes things easier. There's definitely pros and cons of that approach. But one of the pros is just the coordination between the groups is so much better than if you were dealing with um, with third parties, you know, um, and we, we're all there, we're all in the office together. We can just, we can talk, we can plan and we can be more strategic, I think. And mm -hmm. that, that allows us to, um, 
yeah, manage these renovations across different states and different properties and uh, just be very coordinated. Nice. Okay. So I'm a big proponent of purchasing smaller properties or combining smaller properties into syndications to minimize competition. Why are you also a fan of the strategy? Well, I mean, for one reason, just like you said, it minimizes competition, right? Like we, like we said before, there, there's less people going after these properties, right? If you, if you stay under that kind of 200 unit threshold, a lot of the big players um, don't want to go there, right? I mean, even a lot of the, the newer syndicators who, who want to like, quote unquote, start big, um, you know, won't touch these type of properties. So instead of having to go into a bidding war, which is a very realistic occurrence in this day and age, uh, larger properties of having like 30 plus groups bidding on a single property, we often can have, we have our deals sole sourced, um, you know, true off market deals because we're building relationships with, with brokers in these smaller markets, more local and regional brokers who know that we're going to close. So there's less competition, allows us to buy right. And then, as I said before, there's just more meat on the bone typically on these properties, right? There's more room to improve and more room to return better value to our investors. So we're seeing better return profiles on the smaller properties than we are on the larger properties in our portfolio. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's great. Even with new syndicators, that's funny. Um, they'll have a minimum number of units and it's usually very high. And uh, it, it's crazy because you're going to be going in with dozens today of different bidders and different buyers that are going to want that property just like you do. So what is what have you found to be one of the most effective ways of raising capital from limited partners? Uh, the podcast. Uh, I also host a monthly meetup. So just creating networking mm -hmm. opportunities, right? So, so trying to create networking opportunities wherever we can. I think the podcast is great because being on other people's podcasts or, or hosting my own, mm -hmm. it allows people to get a sense of who I am and, and understand my personality and, and have that initial like feeling of, you know, do we jive, right? Because I think mm -hmm. that's really important with, with a syndicator as you're looking. Is it somebody that you feel comfortable with, somebody that you trust, right? And I think the podcast allows people to kind of get to know me. I mean, that, that and I say that because that's the feedback I get from people when I, when I talk with yeah. investors. They'll, I very often they'll say, hey, you know, I've listened to a few of your episodes. Uh, I really just feel like I know you. I feel like, you know, uh, you know I, I get what you're doing, all these things. And, and it really helps kind of get over the, those initial hurdles. So that's been fantastic. And then, um, so just continuing to put out content, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, but, but those two, especially, um, just giving chance uh, people a chance to get to know me, kind of understand what we're doing. I mean, that that's the best way. And then, um, from there, just trying to remove all the friction from the process and make it easy for people and trying to educate people along the way. Cause a lot of the people that I talk with, because we'll, we will do 506 B deals with, which allow non-accredited investors in. Um, from time to time. And, and in those instances, it's a lot of education, right? Like just helping people understand the process, removing barriers of uh, mm -hmm. fear. Yeah. Um, and so I spend a lot of time educating. And I think that's, that's the best way to approach raising capital. I think it's don't sell to people, just educate people. Because if, if you educate people on the benefits of investing in multifamily, then the, the decision is very easy for them to make themselves, right? I think the, the pros so far outweigh the cons. I mean, it's why I've dedicated my, my life to doing this. I could have chosen many different things to go after, but I think this is the best way to build wealth consistently and in a safe manner. And so just 
relaying that to people. I think people get it and, and they get on board. Yeah, no, I like that. The other thing too, is that um, when you're educating them or when you're just kind of explaining everything that goes on in the process for those new investors, probably those 506B investors, you know, they have to know the time frame and everything that goes with it. And a lot of investors are like, oh, that's way too long for me. Like, I love this idea of, you know, investing or, but if you educate them beforehand, well, now you've just alleviated a potential issue with someone three years on the road that, hey, when am I going to get my money out of this deal? Or yeah. when are we, you know, when are we going to uh, liquidate this or refinance it or whatever it might be? So it's very important that they understand the whole process and that this is a long-term investment potentially in uh, in most portions of the market cycle. But yeah, um, and I think it, I think it's yeah. really important that you're you're not taking somebody's last dollar either, oh, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> like I always make sure that we have that conversation mm-hmm. um, because you know I don't want to be taking anybody's last fifty k. Um, that's where you end up in a, in a situation where, you know, if somebody doesn't have, uh, you know, a, enough set aside in a rainy day fund that they may need that money. Right. So you got to make it very clear that it is illiquid. You know, you won't be able to touch this money for, for three to five years. Um, and I also make sure that as I'm talking with them, I validate that they've got, you know, mm-hmm. other, other money and other means set aside. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a great investment, but, I, I also would not recommend anybody put all their eggs in one basket. Of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm well diversified. I mean, I've heavily weighted in, in real estate, but still diversified in other things. And I recommend the strat- that strategy for everybody. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, if even if you're in real estate, if you're diversified over many deals, many different markets, uh, many different asset classes within real estate, whatever it might be, you can have additional diversity within that real estate uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Of investments, but it's also one of the things like I'm not going to take $50,000 of your last $50,000 for what we're doing. Uh, but it's also one of those things too, is that, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great to have the education and kind of let them know because they're going to get that hundred page uh, PPM and they're going to be like, Oh, what's this say? Well, you got to read it and bring it to your attorney. If you have questions with it, but it pretty much says that uh, you could lose, you know, tells you hundred pages of how you could lose your money and how you'll never get it back. And uh, you know, that just kind of keeps everybody on our side of it um, safe with, uh, with running the deal. So, I was, I was reading, doing a little research on yourself and you talk a lot about the social impact, which is something that most people in syndicators don't talk about. How does repositioned real estate benefit a community? Yeah, well, you know, I think there's a lot of ways. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but, but I do view what we do as having a positive social impact. I mean, we're taking these buildings who, which have not been renovated in, in some, you know, often 20, 30 years, Right. Typically, the the owner, if it is kind of a mom and pop, they don't have the capital to continue to pour into the building, right? Mm-hmm. To keep it up to the standard that it should be, um, or even keep keep it up to kind of recent codes, as, as codes have changed a lot over the last fifty years. Our property was built in the seventies, right? And we're able to take these properties and create clean, modern, affordable housing. And I think that gives people, one, you just give people a clean, safe place to live, which is like a bare minimum requirement, right? Like we need shelter um, to feel comfortable. It's one of our basic needs. Um, But then also being able to give people a property and a place to live where where they can feel proud and feel a pride of ownership. I mean, that's our goal. It's to create a sense of community, you know, to hold events. We we do on some properties, we've done things like community gardens. We do other programs to assist residents. And 
Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that you can, you can have a, really a social good because you're, you're impacting people where they live. Right. Yeah. And so I think there, there's a lot of ways that you can um, help people improve. We've done like a BH kids program where we provide uh, full like backpacks loaded full of school supplies to children. Um, we've done language assistance programs for people with English as a second language. We've done financial literacy training. All those things help the residents, but they also help the property because it, it creates a stickiness with residents. It, it helps our residents be more successful as they go to find jobs and work in their jobs. And, and that ultimately, um, you know, helps, helps them pay the rent and, and just be yeah. successful. Right. And, and if we're at creating those amenities, I think it creates a stickiness and, and a higher retention on the properties. Yeah. It gives them pride of where they live as well. And then neighborhood, because exactly. everybody's driven through that neighborhood that here's a nice property, here's a nice property. And here's a property that uh, could use some work, right. Cleaning up mm -hmm. and could change the whole neighborhood. And uh, if you're targeting properties like that, and especially for what you do, at your firm, I mean, that's definitely right up your alley of uh, the properties that you're, I think most real estate investors uh, that are savvier are looking for those kind of uh, diamond and rough, as we would call it, uh, properties that will really turn around a neighborhood once you've taken control of it and uh, work through your value add process. Yeah, absolutely. So what mistakes do you commonly see new or experienced real estate investors make? Uh, falling in love with deals and paying too much. I mean, that, that's, I think that's the number one risk right now is just with the competitive environment that we're in is, is just paying too much. You, you truly do make your money in real estate when you buy it, right? And you've got to buy it right. Uh, you, can't, you can't overpay. Otherwise, you're just, you're spending your entire, entire time of ownership trying to, trying to catch up to that, right? And, and so I think that that's the biggest thing. It's like, it, it's difficult when you're in that process, right? I mean, maybe you've made it through the first round, you're in the best and final, you really want to win it. You've sunk a lot of time into it, right? Um, you don't want that to be a sunk cost. Um, it's easy to get emotional and, and to, to maybe push the, push the numbers a little too far. Like you can make a spreadsheet, say anything you want, but you know, you've got to keep it anchored in reality. So I think that that's one of them. I think the other one I would say is just a warning for people. Like, I think, I think we spend a lot of time focusing on the demand side. Like what's the demand for like the property that we're looking at, but we don't spend enough time focusing on the supply side. So like how much new supply is coming wow. into the market. Right. And which is going to, to dilute the, uh, the demand for your property. Yeah. And that's where you'll see occupancy dips. We will see huge, you know, you'll see a huge amount of new supply delivered. You'll see occupancy across the market or submarket drop, right, for a couple of years because it's got to catch up. So I think mm -hmm. folks with so much building going on right now, um, that we just, you got to be careful. You got to watch the supply side too in your market and how much new supply is coming online. Yeah, it's that's completely that's great. I mean, it's it's uh, correct. The emotional is so hard, though. Don't get me wrong. I mean, because you send so much time with that property, mm. reviewing it, and you start learning stuff that you really like about it that you yeah. maybe have not seen in projects you've had before, and uh, you kind of fall in love with it a little too much. And you've got to. That's why it's always great to have someone else on your team be like or look yeah. at it from a fresh approach. Possibly someone that has no upside potential from the deal and be like, this is this is like these rents are too high and this is a problem and everything else that could be something where a normal 
uh, analysis where someone could really sharpen their pencil, like you said, and make that spreadsheet say whatever you want it to say to make yeah. the deal look good. But that's right. And I think that's a great tip is to have multiple people look at the deal from different perspectives, you know, and that's the way that you can help, um, help alleviate that by, I mean, you're really seeking for folks to poke holes. I mean, so our process is we, we actually have an investment committee that all the deals go through and, and it includes folks from property management, asset management, and people on, on other deal teams as well. Cause like I said, we have those several strategies and it allows uh, just different perspectives. And, and the whole goal is to, to try to poke holes in the deal to, to make sure that we're not missing something because we've, we've quote unquote fallen in, in love with the deal. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's something that happens. I think uh, it catches real estate investors at all points of uh, their career too. It's not just something that happens to new investors because it's something no, I have to no, keep no. on checking myself on too and be like, because, you know, you really like to buy good properties and I, you know, and you're looking at it and you go, you know, I could pay a little bit more for that, but then there's a, there's a little thing about paying retail for it and then paying something where you're paying for future appreciation that hasn't even happened yet. And now yeah. that's where you're getting into a uncharted waters, let's say, uh, when you're owning that property. But um, great. So what factors have you and your team implemented in your life and business that have led to your success? Good question. So factors that we've implemented, um, you know, there's, I think just, I think communication, just like ch good channels of communication is extremely important, especially as you grow. Um, figuring out the communication that's going to work for you, but, and, and then sticking to that, you know, so we like tool wise, so we operate off of, you know, we use Trello quite a bit yeah. as far as just a, a tracking, tracking tool. You know, we have boards for each project. We also use a tool called Smartsheet to, uh, you know, just track progress and work plans. Um, you know, so I think just staying organized, I mean, also ju just having those touch points, right. And having those property touch points, making sure that you're, <clears throat> you're just getting into a rhythm on that and that you're holding, uh, the property management accountable, right. I think is really important and, and setting up a standard structure with reporting so that everybody's aligned on these are the metrics that we're going to be judged on. And these are the metrics that are going to be delivered every week. And, um, and, and, and that we're looking at those and we're getting those regularly because I think if you're looking at things just on a monthly basis and you're just looking at like budget variances, uh, the problem with that is it's all, it's already happened, right? It's in the books. You, you, you know, you're a month out from solving the problem. So we try to look at things, especially our key indicators on a weekly basis, those leading indicators of, you know, where things may be going wrong or, or could go wrong in the future and make sure that we're getting ahead of those things. Nice. Yeah. The KPIs and tracking the right ones, because some KPIs are very difficult to track and really don't help so much in you figuring out what the issue might be, or if there is an issue or uh, nipping something in the butt, let's say, but some KPIs are very helpful in determining yeah. the direction of where you're going. So, well, and I think just making sure that the metrics that you're tracking align with your, your strategy and your business okay. plan, right? Like, better, like, I've, yeah. <laughs> like I've seen, I've seen way I've seen where this becomes, they just become misaligned, right? So you may have a property where, uh, you have no problem with occupancy, right? It's easy for it to stay full. And really what's most important is success of the business plan are those, those trade-outs, right? So what are you getting? Uh, how much are you increasing rent on renewals um, and, and on renovations, but even on the renewals, right? Like what's that organic growth? Um, well, if the property manager is incentivized by occupancy, 
then they're, 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 they're disincentivized to push those rent bumps, right? Because they want to keep it fully occupied. So you've got to make sure that the incentives align, the, the metrics you're tracking and the incentives to those metrics align with your business plan. Yeah. And the other thing too, is this where the education, like you were saying before with the investor, because you, they might say, well, this property I have with another syndicator is at 98%, you know, occupied and you guys are at 95. However, uh, it might be that this is part of the business plan. This might be that we're increasing rents and we're pushing our rents uh, continuously compared to this other project where they're kind of just letting it glide. You know what I mean? So it's something you have to let yeah. them know um, what they're doing. Yeah. Too. I mean, right. So I would rather be at 95% occupied than 100% occupied. And the reason I say that is because if you're 100% occupied, uh, it really limits your ability to effectively renovate that property, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you're 95% occupied, that means that you have, you have units that you're turning, right? Units that you're improving. And it also means that you're, you're pushing the boundaries from a rent standpoint. Because if, if you're $100 below everybody else in the market, I mean, it's going to be very easy to be 100% occupied, yeah. right? But, but I think that's, that's what people kind of miss. And that's what we spend a lot of time talking with property management about, especially about, you know, because property management typically is very sensitive about occupancy, right? And, and physical occupancy and wanting to stay 100% occupied, right? But so trying to coach them on actually, it's okay to be a little less occupied. I would prefer that because that's allowing us to implement our business plan. It's giving us the freedom to turn those units and renovate them and move people through. Nice. Yeah, for sure. So how can listeners learn more about you and your business, Ken? Yeah. So you can reach out to me at my website. It's kentritter.com. K-E-N-T-R-I-T-T-E-R.com. That's my home base. And you can find my podcast there and uh, info for passive investors and kind of just tutorials and guides. Um, outside of that, my just my podcast, Ritter on Real Estate. If You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, it's a great, we really focus on how to make people how to help people make better investing decisions and really talk about, you know, what are things you should be evaluating and looking at and understanding. And, um, and then lastly is just social media. Like I said, I'm very active on Instagram and LinkedIn, especially you can find me there and, uh, and reach out and send me a message and be happy to, to get back to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, looking forward to connecting with you in the future. I'll put all those links into the show notes. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Charles. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. 
Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.